Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey everyone, this is your host, Bob Ruff. Before we get started today, I wonder if you all be willing to take a quick moment of silence with me. This episode is dropping on September 11th. Fifteen years ago today, thousands of Americans were killed in the Flight 93 crash, the attack on the Pentagon, and when the Twin Towers fell. Among those thousands were hundreds of firefighters, police officers, and EMS workers. Every one of those lives were precious, but this day holds a special place in my heart. In 2001, I was a young firefighter, still learning the job. I remember every moment of the day that those towers fell, and every moment of the following weeks. I specifically remember watching the news reports and hearing the beeping noise that was happening in the background. My wife and my family members looked on with me, but I was the only one that realized that those beeps that I was hearing were firefighters' pass alarms. These are alarms that activate when a firefighter goes down and doesn't move, and the sound was coming from beneath the rubble. I remember watching the news reports from my couch, crying for people that I've never met before. Most of you listening today have your own personal experiences with what happened on September 11, 2001. Some of you may have been too young to remember, but it's certainly a day that has lived in infamy in the United States. So out of respect for the thousands of men and women who lost their lives that day, I want to take a brief moment of silence before we start today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and I want to start off today by thanking one of today's sponsors. Four Athletics Apparel is one of the sponsors of today's episode. You guys all know how much Becky and I love our Four Athletics clothing. It's been such a pleasure working with these guys. Ben gave me a call the other day and told me that he had some big news. Becky had actually suggested a couple of months ago that they develop a line of sports bras. She typically works out in leggings and a sports bra and not a shirt. Well, Ben was excited to tell me that because of her suggestion that they now have prototypes of a new sports bra that they're actually sending to Becky to product test. And that's the way these guys operate at 4Athletics. It's all crowdsourced. They use the crowdfunding model to keep their prices low, and they take suggestions from their customers to develop new products. And I think it's awesome that at some point when you guys order a sports bra, you'll know that it's been Becky Ruff approved. And I'm currently sitting in the studio wearing my charcoal alpha pant number five. These are a men's pant, and I don't even know exactly how to describe them. They're like no other pair of pants that I've ever worn before. They're your do-everything pant. They design the pants for warming up, working out, going out, and everything in between. They're made of a four-way stretch material that gives you maximum range of motion, and the trim, modern fit makes them wearable anywhere. They're like a really high-quality sweatpant that don't quite look like sweatpants. So you guys out there, you should check these things out. And check out all of the products at 4 
Remember, they're crowdfunded, so each product has a track bar underneath it to tell you what percent funded it is. Check out your item, put in your order. As soon as the product is fully funded, 4Athletics will produce them and get them shipped out to you within a couple of weeks. And that crowdfunding model is what keeps these American-made products at a low, low price and also keeps them at the highest quality standards. And right now, 4Athletics is giving Truth and Justice listeners 15% off of their entire purchase. All you have to do is go to 4Athletics, that's F-O-U-R, athletics.com, and use my promo code TRUTH to get that 15% off. So please support 4Athletics, and remember, they're supporting us, and they have an amazing product at an incredibly low price. That's 4Athletics.com, and use my promo code TRUTH for 15% off. And now, let's get on with the content of today's episode. The following is an excerpt from Matt Bingham's website, mattbinghamda.com. This is from the homepage during his 2014 re-election campaign for the District Attorney of Smith County. Experience is important. It has been my privilege to serve the people of Smith County as your District Attorney since 2004 and as a prosecutor since 1995. I have handled tens of thousands of criminal cases and have tried before a jury more than 150 felony cases, including 27 murder and capital murder cases. These cases resulted in criminal defendants receiving numerous life sentences and six death penalty verdicts. My staff and I have worked tirelessly to hold violent offenders, sexual predators, and drug dealers accountable for the crimes that they commit, resulting in well-deserved justice for the victims and the community. This was the platform that Matt Bingham ran on that resulted in his re-election in 2014. Hard on crime, life sentences, and death penalties. Justice for the victims and the community. This platform has been a common thread in Smith County since the 70s. A.D. Clark III, Jack Skeen, David Dobbs, and now Matt Bingham. All of these men at one time or another have boasted about transparency. Skeen at one time said that they are the most transparent district attorney's office in the state of Texas. In today's episode, I'm not going to give you my opinion of that statement. I'm simply going to walk you through the process of my journey trying to obtain the documents from the Smith County Sheriff's Department in the Edward Eights case. And the journey started on March 28th of this year, 165 days ago. On March 28, I sent the following email to Mr. Herbert Ashley in the Records Division of the Smith County Sheriff's Department. Mr. Ashley, I am requesting copies of all Smith County Sheriff's Department documentation regarding the investigation of Elnora Griffin's murder that occurred on July 22, 1993. I will need all reports, progress reports, evidence-slash-chain-of-custody logs, crime scene photos, witness and suspect interviews, etc. I will need copies of the entire file. If there were recorded interviews, I will also need DVD copies of those as well, like you did for me with the Kenneth Snow case. Thank you, sir. Please let me know what you need for me. My mailing address is, and I give my mailing address. 22 days later, on April 19th, Mr. Ashley called me to inform me that he was in the process of putting everything together and that he would have it to me by the end of the week. He also told me that, quote, it's just taking some time because the file is bigger than most. Ten days later, on April 29th, I called Mr. Ashley back to check on the status of my request. Ashley informed me that he had no documentation on the case and believed that it may be a Tyler PD case. I informed Mr. Ashley that it is most definitely a Smith County Sheriff's Department case. 
He then requested that I email him more details of the case, which I did while we were still on the phone. I sent him an email with the case number, suspect Edward Ates, victim Elnora Griffin, date of the murder, date the body was found. From the crime scene investigator was Jason Waller. The lead investigator was Dale Huckel. The assisting officer was Deputy Steve Cheney. Mr. Ashley sent me an email back that said, got it. Ten days later, I sent a follow-up email to Mr. Ashley, checking on the status of my request again. I received no response. At this point, it had been 42 days since my original request. Four days later, after hearing nothing on May 13, I called Mr. Ashley's office again to check on the status. I left a voicemail that was never returned. At that point, I emailed another, more formal open records request, along with a log of all of our correspondences. At this point, I started to get the idea that Smith County was probably not going to be as open with their open records as I had hoped. So rather than just the quick email that I originally sent in March, I sent a formal open records request. Four days later, Mr. Ashley called me back. He said he'd been trying to locate the files, realized that the files were not scanned into the electronic system, so he'd went to the records building to look for the hard copies, where he was informed that the files had been signed out of the records building by the Smith County District Attorney's Office on March 28th the exact date that I filed my original request. He sent me an email to confirm this. His email reads as follows. Mr. Ruff, per our telephone conversation today, reference to the Sheriff's Office record on case 93-08889. The requested records are not scanned into the electronic system for retrievals, so I forwarded a request for the hard copy files to the storage warehouse and was informed that they were signed out to the DA's office in March. Since those records are not in my possession, I cannot provide them to you for your review, nor can I obtain copies. Please feel free to contact me if you have any questions. So in the six-week time period from the date I filed my original request to the date I got this email, we went from it's going to be a week because the file is so big it's going to take a while to copy, to this wasn't a Smith County case, to I can't get to the records because the DA's office signed them out. Now to be fair... When I looked at the logbook from the records building, it appears that they may not have actually been signed out to the DA's office, but it in fact may have been one of the clerks pulling them for me on that date. However, the records that the clerks pulled for me were not the Sheriff's Department records. It was just the clerk's record that I had already looked at. So here we are now six weeks in, and I still have not been able to obtain a copy of the Sheriff's Department records. I talked to some other sources within Smith County and they told me that the Sheriff's Department turns all of their records over to the DA's office when the case goes to trial. So the DA's office would be the ones to have those records. So on May 26th of this year, I filed an open records request with the DA's office, again requesting the Smith County Sheriff's Department files on the case. At this point, it had been just under two months since I filed my original request. The next week, I was in Tyler for Kerry Max Cook's hearing. This was the hearing where I saw Matt Bingham in the room. David Dobbs was sitting right across from the aisle from me. And it was in this hearing where Matt Bingham agreed to set aside Cook's conviction based on the new statements from James Mayfield. You all remember me reporting on this at the time that I walked up to Matt Bingham after the hearing, shook his hand, gave him a business card, and told him that I'd like to talk to him about the AIDS case. Bingham at that time told me he had no idea who I was or what the AIDS case was, but he'd be happy to give me a call in a week or so. Still waiting on that call. It was about a week later when I took a hard look at Carrie Max Cook's case and came to the conclusion that the killer of Linda Jo Edwards was very likely a young female with an axe to grind. That's what led me to contacting Michael Valentin, and you all heard that interview, where he told me that his mother, Luella Mayfield, had actually confessed to him that she was the one that had killed Linda Jo Edwards. At this point, taking Bingham at his word that he was willing to talk to me, I called his office. 
He wouldn't get on the phone, but I spoke to his assistant, Aaron Velo. I told her about the interview with Mr. Valentin, and she told me they'd be happy to review the interview if I could just send them an MP3 file of it. That night, I received a call from Kerry Cook's attorney. While Bingham wouldn't talk to me, he called Mark Bennett, Kerry's attorney, asking him about me and the information that I had. I can only assume that my conversation with his assistant was either recorded or she took copious notes because he was quoting back to Cook's attorney literally every word that I had said. So the next day, on June 13th, I emailed the MP3 file of the interview with Michael Valentin to Ms. Velo, and along with that, I responded to several of the questions that Mr. Bingham had for Mr. Bennett about me. I ended the email to Ms. Velo as follows. I will be airing Mike's interview on this week's episode. I record the episode tomorrow, and it will publish tomorrow. In the episode, I will be reporting that I have forwarded this information and the interview onto your office. If you would like to give a statement, either via email or recorded over the phone, I will be happy to include that in the episode. In fact, please consider this my formal request for your office to provide a statement regarding this new information on the case. I look forward to hearing from you. Respectfully, Bob Ruff. Later that day, I received the following email from Ms. Velo's email address, but it's signed Matt Bingham. It says, Mr. Ruff, thank you for your emails. I have forwarded the information received from you yesterday, along with the Valentin interview you sent today to Mr. Cook's lawyer, Mark Bennett. I will be forwarding your last email from 1153 to Mr. Bennett as well. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you about the Cook case. However, as this is a pending matter, I am unable to make a comment. Matt Bingham. On this same day, June 13, 2016, Mr. Bingham's office filed a request exception with the Attorney General of Texas regarding my open records request in the AIDS case. They were asking for the Attorney General to make a ruling as to what information they had to give me. They wanted to hold several of the items back. There wasn't much I could do at this point besides wait for the Attorney General's ruling, and they have 45 days to make such a ruling. So basically all summer I waited. While I was waiting, I saw the district attorney's office go to court to oppose Kerry Max Cook's actual innocence, which he did indeed lose. Nothing was ever mentioned about the Michael Valentin interview or statements. Two months after the requested exception was filed, on August 16th of this year, I was back in Tyler. While I was there, I stopped by the district attorney's office in person to check on the status of my request. While Mr. Bingham didn't come out to see me, one of his representatives did and told me that they were waiting on the attorney general's decision and that they had contacted Elnora's family to ask them if they thought it was okay for them to issue all the crime scene photos to me, and they tell me that the family opposed to it, although I haven't seen any record of that, and I still have not been able to get a hold of the family. By the time I got home, I had certified mail waiting for me from the Attorney General's office. On the same day that I had stopped into the DA's office, August 16th, the Attorney General had issued a letter ruling that while the Smith County DA's office needed to withhold some of the information I requested, it had to produce most of it to me. Since when I was in the office on the 16th, they told me that they would let me know as soon as they hear something from the Attorney General, I waited a few days to see what was going to happen next. After waiting over a week, on August 24th, I emailed Aaron Velo from the Smith County DA's office again, letting her know that I had received the ruling from the Attorney General and wanted to know when I could come in and make copies of the files. Now, while all of this was going on, Allison Clayton, Ed's attorney, had also filed an open records request for the same document. As we told you, we've been working on the case separately, and we only really communicate when I have new information for her. She had told me that the DA's office did indeed have the files, that there were eight banker boxes worth of files on the Ed H case, and that she had already met with Bingham to look over the files, and she was planning a trip over to Tyler with her students to make copies. 
So I thought it would be pretty simple if I went down at the same time as her, since we were both going to be copying the same records. But as it turns out, Bingham's office was objecting to some of the material for me to get copies of, but they were allowing Allison and her team full access, so we couldn't be in the room at the same time. This is the email that I sent to the DA's office on August 24th. Now take note of what I say here, because it's going to become important in a few minutes. Miss Velo, I received the ruling from the Attorney General regarding my open records request for the Edward Aids case files. I presume that your office has also received a copy of the ruling. I would like to make arrangements to get copies of the requested items not excluded by the AG's ruling. It was my intention to fly down on 9-9 to go through the documents and tapes with Ms. Clayton and her team. She has informed me that you have requested that I not be present for that meeting. While I must admit that I see this as an incredibly inefficient duplication of effort, I do need to make arrangements to get copies of the records. How would Mr. Bingham wish to proceed? As you can tell from the email, at this point I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated. At that point, it had been five months since I made my original request for these files. I had been through all the running around with the Sheriff's Department, the open records request with the DA's office, their appeal to the Attorney General, the ruling from the Attorney General, and I still didn't have the files. The next day, on August 25th, I received an email back from Ms. Velo telling me that she had forwarded my email on to Mr. Philip Smith. He's an assistant DA in the Civil Division and handles open records requests. I let an entire week go by, hearing nothing from the DA's office, and finally on September 1st, I sent another email directly to Mr. Philip Smith. I told him that Ms. Velo had told me that she had forwarded my email onto him, and I hadn't heard anything, and I need to make arrangements to get copies of these documents. Shortly after that, on the same day, I got an email back from Philip Smith. And this is where things really start to get ugly, right after the break. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That email that I received on September 1st from the Assistant District Attorney, Philip Smith, was informing me that the Smith County District Attorney's Office was filing another appeal to the Attorney General regarding my request for the Edward Aids case files. Now, at this point, the District Attorney's Office has been ordered by the Attorney General to produce these documents to me. The documents that we now know are sitting in Bingham's office. They had been located, and they've been sitting there for over a month. But in the successive request that they've now sent to the Attorney General's office, Mr. Smith is now claiming that there is pending litigation in the Aids case, and therefore they should not be required to turn any documents over to me. Let me read you some of the language directly from their request to the Attorney General. On May 26, 2016, the Smith County Criminal District Attorney's Office received the attached letter from Mr. Robert Ruff 
The letter requests a number of items related to the state of Texas versus Edward Eights, cause number 007-94-465, in the 7th Judicial District Court of Smith County. On June 13, 2016, the District Attorney's Office submitted a request for an exception to the Act under various exceptions. The Office of Attorney General ruled that certain items the Smith County DA's office has in its possession must be disclosed pursuant to the Act in OR 2016-18485, dated August 16th, which was received by this office on or about August 22nd. On August 24, 2016, the Smith County DA's office received a letter from Ms. Allison Clayton of the Innocence Project of Texas, which gave notice to preserve certain items in the custody of the Smith County DA's office. Ms. Clayton has also represented to the Smith County DA's office that she and the Innocence Project of Texas represent Edward Eights. The Smith County DA's office also received a letter on August 24 from the requester seeking to inspect information in the custody of the Smith County DA's office that the Attorney General had determined must be disclosed under the Act. Since the date of the ruling, based on the attached information, the Smith County DA's office reasonably believes that the information sought by the requester is information involving a governmental body and that that litigation can be reasonably anticipated on August 24, 2016, the date the requester applied for access to this information. Of note is the absence of any assertions by Mr. Ruff that he represents Mr. Eights in any capacity. So basically, this is what they're saying. There are certain exceptions to the Open Records Act that say if you have pending litigation, that a governmental body does not have to produce open records on that particular case while the litigation is pending. Now, there's a lot more to that, and there's a lot of specific things necessary to meet that standard, which this meets none of them. But for the purposes of this conversation, what they're saying is that email that I read to you all a few minutes ago, the August 24th email where I requested access to the copies that the Attorney General had already ruled on based on my May 26th request, they're claiming to the Attorney General of Texas that that was a new open records request. The reason they're trying to construe that as a new open records request is because that same date, August 24th, is the date that Allison Clayton of the Innocence Project sent another open records request to the office. And they're claiming that in that open records request, she asked them to preserve evidence, which they're considering evidence that they can reasonably assume that there is pending litigation. They're trying to say that they got her letter first, my new records request, which was really just a follow-up email, came after... And therefore, they're asking for another exception so they don't have to send me the records that the attorney general had already told them that they had to send to me. The reason that they had to use that August 24th email as a new open records request is because if they use my actual open records request date of May 26th, that occurred before Allison had sent them this follow-up request and therefore would not fall within the exception. Because they only have 10 days after a records request is made to file this with the office of the attorney general. And that time had long since passed since my May 26th open records request. At this point, I had had enough, and I'm tired of playing nice. Earlier this week, on September 7th, I sent my own objection to the Attorney General. In my objection, and all these documents will be up on the website, but in my objection, I laid out the timeline that I just laid out to you. That at that point, on September 7th, my actual open records request had now been open for 163 days. I walked them through the process of me starting with the Sheriff's Department, being told that the files were at the District Attorney's Office. On May 26, I filed my records request with the District Attorney's Office. They had filed for an exception. They got a ruling from the Office of the Attorney General. They still didn't provide me with the documents that the Attorney General ordered them to provide. And now they filed yet another exception to further delay giving me the documents, the documents that they've been ordered to produce. 
I've made my case to the Attorney General by providing them with copies of every single email that's gone back and forth between me and the District Attorney's Office and the Smith County Sheriff's Department, and by describing in detail exactly why I believe that this is a bogus claim, a willful disregard of the law, and an intentional delayment of giving me the documents requested. I'm not going to read you this entire document. It's up on the website if you want to read it. But after I laid out the timeline, the next segment is titled, Section 552.103 is not applicable to the Smith County Criminal District Attorney's Office, but even if it were, the Smith County Criminal District Attorney's Office has waived it. In this section, I explain how my email on August 24th was in no way a new request, but in fact a follow-up to an old request. I also included copies of the open records request that Allison Clayton has filed with the district attorney's office, one of them dated May 25th, 2016, one day before mine, where in that open records request, again, back in May, before my request was made, page 6 included the following language. By this letter, your office is hereby given notice not to destroy, conceal, or alter any items requested above. This includes, but is not limited to, paper or electronic files and other data generated by and or stored in your computers and storage media. For example, hard drives, floppy disks, backup tapes, zip cartridges, CDs, DVDs, etc. Or any other electronic data such as voicemail or any physical or biological evidence associated with the case. As you know, your failure to comply with this notice can result in severe sanctions being imposed by for spoilation of evidence. This is standard language in a boilerplate open records request. It's included in the last page of every open records request that Allison makes, and it was included in all of the open records requests that she made to Smith County, which they were well aware of. Yet in their requested exception, they were claiming that that language in her August 25th letter now constitutes reasonable anticipation of pending litigation. Because this language was included in her original May 25th request, that means that they only had 10 days after my May 26th request to make this argument. Since that 10 days has long since come and gone, now they're trying to construe my August 24th email as a brand new request and her August 24th open records request containing the same language as a new indication of pending litigation. And besides that, even if they hadn't waived their right to file this objection, it doesn't apply in this case anyway. Because by my understanding of the law, that exception is only allowed when one of the governmental bodies or parties are being sued. So what they're saying is they think that that language in the bottom of Allison's request is her indicating that she's going to sue one of the parties of the governmental body of Smith County. And that's why they want to withhold the information. That's not exactly what the Innocence Project of Texas does. They fight to prove the innocence of their clients. They're not in the habit of suing government officials. The final section of my letter to the Attorney General states that I believe that the intentional disregard of the Attorney General's ruling constitutes official misconduct by the Smith County District Attorney's Office. And I'll read you my final conclusion directly. Mr. Smith of the Smith County Criminal District Attorney's Office has refused to comply with the Attorney General's ruling. He does so behind the veil of a clearly inapplicable statute on grounds that were present before I filed my request. I asked the Attorney General to treat the Smith County District Attorney's Office successive requested exemption with the disapprobation they deserve. I sent this office certified mail to both the Office of the Attorney General and a copy sent directly to Philip Smith of the Smith County Criminal District Attorney's Office. And since he had the decency to send me an email putting me on notice that they had sent their request in, I returned the favor and sent the following email to Mr. Smith on the 7th. Mr. Smith. Please find and close a copy of my request to the Texas Attorney General regarding your requested exception. 
in light of the fact that you have misrepresented my follow-up on May 26 request as a new request. Furthermore, your office received a letter from Mr. Eight's legal counsel on May 25th that included the exact same standard language that you now claim to be an indication of anticipated litigation in her August 24th letter. In light of that willful disregard for the law and intentional delay in producing the records that the Office of the Attorney General has ordered you to produce, I have filed this objection with the Office of the Attorney General. You were carbon copied on the attached letter, which should be delivered to you via first-class U.S. mail. Have a nice day. Bob Ruff. So this has been my journey in trying to obtain copies of the Sheriff's Department records from the self-proclaimed, transparent Smith County District Attorney's Office, headed up by Mr. Matt Bingham. Like I told you before, I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm just going to leave that out there for you to think about and for you to make a decision. And I think this is a good time for any of you that have strong feelings one way or the other about the Smith County District Attorney's Office and Matt Bingham to let them know about it. You can send letters expressing your feelings to Matt Bingham of the Smith County District Attorney's Office, 100 North Broadway Avenue, 4th Floor, Tyler, Texas, 75702. And I'll have that address listed on the website. And if you're really feeling froggy and really want to let the people of Tyler know how you feel about their district attorney, whether it be good or bad, you can email a letter to the editor of the Tyler Morning Telegraph at opinion at tylerpaper.com. That's opinion at tylerpaper.com. And make sure that you put letter to the editor in the subject line. You can also share your feelings with the KLTV news station that's also located in Tyler, Texas. You can just call the main station number, which is 903-597-5588. That's 903-957-5588. I have been trying to give Matt Bingham the benefit of the doubt for months. This is the first that any of you have even heard about the games that he's been playing with this open records request. I've been trying to play nice, but I've had enough. Smith County is known throughout the country as being one of the most corrupt criminal district attorney's offices in the United States. And if you don't like that reputation, then do something about it. Thank you to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for creating all the music for the show. Thank you to Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. Thank you to Daniel Schaefer and Mike Bussing for editing today's episode. Thank you to today's sponsors, 4Athletics Apparel, Stamps.com, and Blue Apron. And a special thanks to all of you who have submitted requests to help out with the transcripts. I've literally received emails from hundreds of people wanting to help. I've been working on trying to respond to everybody. Mike's been helping me out. Sorry if we haven't gotten back to you yet. At this point, I've had three people that sent me samples of episode transcripts, and we have formed a team with these three to help get all the transcripts done. I actually was able to send a transcript of the last episode to Ed, and he called me today and said he already read it, and he really, really appreciated it. So at this point, our transcription team is Sarah Hoyt, Sarah Mueller, and Desiree Dunn. And I want to thank all of you for the work you've done. And again, thank you to all of you who have offered your assistance. And as always, thanks to all of you for all of your support in every way that you give it. There's never been a need on this show that has gone unmet. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Send me new cases to cases at truthandjusticepod.com. Like the Facebook page or follow me on Twitter 
at Truth Justice Pod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.